welcome back, Beyonders, to Tabletop and Beyond. We are so happy to have you here with us. I am your host, Justin. I am here with Jason and Dan. Welcome, boys. Welcome. Hello. So, Jason, you, you missed the memo to wear your glasses today, apparently. Yes. Oh. <laughs> do you wear glasses? I don't think you do, right? I have a prescription, but I don't use it. Oh, well. Look who's, look who's too fancy. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I think if you put glasses on, we wouldn't recognize who you are. It's like mm, your Clark. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> like, who is that guy? <laughs> yeah. My wife wants glasses. She's like, I can't wait for my eyes to go out so I can get glasses and look smart. I'm like, hmm, you, know, you can get just like not <laughs> prescription glasses, yeah. right? Like Just fake ones. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's cool. Like, anyway. But uh, yeah, we gotta... have to wear them. I wear them for style. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My kids well, used to wear the 3D glasses if they were if they were kind of a Ray-Ban shape. Like we go to the movies, they would keep the glasses and then pop the lenses out and walk around with them just with nice. empty, just with the empty nice. frames. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show today. We've got some good, exciting uh stuff for you today. The Walking Dead RPG came out uh, maybe about a week, uh, two weeks ago, something like that. And I think it was November 29th. So I think it was actually a week ago. And we had the opportunity, look what's in Jason's hand right there, the core rule book that we got from our Kickstarter. And we had the opportunity to give it a spin this weekend. And we had a great time doing that. So we wanted to give you our take on the Walking Dead universe aka rpg from amc and free league press so we're very excited to do that for you tonight but of course we get started with our geek week jason kick us off with the geek week Ooh, my geek week uh i have spent a lot of time working this week but i did take advantage and we talked about it last time of the miniature market uh deals going on right now i spent some money Oh my. I spent about well, and not that much really. Think about it. I spent about $168 and I got 24 games. Wow. What? 24 yeah. games for $164. Wow. It wow. average I'm looking at my list right now, and the, the games run anywhere from a two bucks up to $55. Um and with actually $55 an outlier, most of them are on the order of like five to seven dollars. So huge sale. Um, my problem is, uh, is I like to think a lot about a game before I buy it. So every one of those games I divulged down into a YouTube video before deciding to buy, <laughs> to buy it. So the good old two to five dollars I spent on it, I spent about probably 25 minutes on each one of those. Next thing I know, it's like two, almost three in the morning. I'm like, I'm just going to buy whatever's in my cart. (laughs) (laughs) Analysis paralysis solved. Just buy it. Buy it and worry about the consequences later. Yeah. But I got a lot of, I got a lot of good, good games. I think that are coming. I got gang rush. Remember gang rush, Dan? Yes, I have it. I want to play it again. It's great. It was, uh, it was 10 bucks. And I have oh, that's a steal. That. Yeah, that is a steal for ten bucks. Now, for those who don't know, uh, that gang rush is everybody has a unique car, and the board is a three-dimensional bridge, and you're bobbing and weaving and throwing down obstacles and popping everybody's tires and oil slicking and avoiding cops, 
because you guys have just knocked over a bank and whoever whoever gets to the finish line with the most money is the winner. It is a fun game and I'd love to play it again. Yeah, I really enjoy that game. But anyways, I got a bunch of fun games, so I'm excited to uh, to get that in. But that was, uh, spent a lot of my time this week looking at YouTube videos before I finally just fell asleep and pulled the trigger and bought them. Nice. <laughs> nice. I um, was doing a bunch of research like yesterday on the um, Arkham Horror, the card game, kind of the expansions. Yeah, so same. It's, <laughs> I went down a lot of those YouTube videos. Oh my gosh! So, so that the way that they released it is like maybe the most confusing thing when you go to buy them, right? Because they have six cycles, is what they call them. And like, for example, the the Dunwich Legacy is like a, a cycle, right? Yeah, the myth, and, mythos packs that come with it. Yeah. So what they did is they released a a legacy version. Um, they call it the deluxe version, and then um, there's mythos packs that you can buy with it. However, they recently in 2022 re-released it in a more consolidated pack where you can buy the campaign pack and the investigator pack, and it has everything from that whole cycle in these two boxes. And um, those two boxes are really hard to find. Like they um, they're sold out in a lot of places, and so I was trying to price out if I bought all of the different things from. Uh, miniature market because a bunch of them are on sale right now if that would be the equivalent of it and it turns out it's way more expensive to buy them individually than it would be to buy them um, you know in those two different packs so I'm just going to wait for them to come out and see if I can pick up some other ones but they look really cool and I, I need to get out I need to play my thing um, but for, for my geek week we played um, that Miskatonic University again and um the kids were much more um, apt to playing it, and then they uh, they they got the hang of it. And man, they can be pretty ruthless with it. Actually, now at this point, I've kind of created some monsters. So, um, but you know what? It's good. They're, they're a little competitive beast. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the other thing is that I finished the first um, Black Company omnibus. And I had been talking about reading this forever. It's basically like four or five novels in one. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's like a huge book that took me forever. And um, it was really, the ending was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and so then I started doing the preview. So this, to give you an example, I, I started reading the second omnibus of this. And the preview um, of it is like, 135 pages because that's like 10 percent of the book do you know what i mean <laughs> so yeah jeez. <laughs> so it's like it's a really big omnibus so like i'm like i'll just read this preview for a long time and then if i feel like continuing the story i'll just buy it because i mean that's like a tenth of the book right so anyway um but yeah that was kind of my geek week finishing that up and, and playing some games it was it was pretty good Pretty good, and obviously we, I, I prepped. I did a lot of prepping for the Walking Dead session that we ran on on Friday, and um, so we'll talk about that though. But I did a lot of prepping for that. So yeah, Dan, how was your geek week? Well, it was one that fell on the cutting room floor last time we got together because I had so much to complain about my RPG sessions. I have another session with that group this week, by the way, so I'll let you know how that goes. Um, no, I finished painting every um, miniature. Uh, 
for um, the world of smog, Rizomala. Oh. Including this is the Baker Street expansion. It is it has Holmes and Watson and um, uh, Irene Adler and Colonel Moran, and it's just fun. Had a great time painting it, and three large expansions uh, are all painted now. So I, I I painted I don't know sixty or so minis, and they're very unique sculpts. You only the the highest I only had like you know, three groups of eight, everything else was an individual paint mm. with an individual story and color scheme and, and all that stuff. So let me just say, I certainly love Seamon sculptors. They really know how to tell a story in a mini there. You really have to zero in on that mini and figure out what's going on and look at the art and you're like, Oh, there's a story here just in the mini. So, um, my world of smog is complete. There is one expansion I've never bought. I've seen it on eBay, but I figured I will not buy it until I play all the expansions I have, which is plenty. So um, I'm excited about that. Nice. So it's great. It's an important thing. I spent a lot of nights on it, lost a lot of brownie points with the boss because I would disappear and keep cranking away and cranking away and cranking mm -hmm. away. But uh, it's good. And have a, having a good selection of metallics is really important. When you're doing steampunk minis, you gotta mm, yeah. have you gotta have good coppers and and greedy golds and all all of those colors are are, are really really important. And washes do wonderful things over metallics. Um, I I I had a much more successful time getting the look I wanted doing a wash over a metallic versus a metallic speed paint. Um, which are only kind of much more, even though I have the entire line from Army Painter, it's much more of a niche product. It only works mm -hmm. on really rough surfaces. The more the more concave and convex the surfaces, the better, the smoother, the worse they, they turn out. So, But a, a standard metallic with a wash is magnificent. So um, yeah, now I just got to play that game. I've only played it like three times and I have hundreds of minis, it feels like <laughs> It's That's like okay. your your version of my deep madness. Yes. <laughs> it feels like deep madness. Yeah. It feels yeah. like I'm getting crazier and crazier, but through uh, you know, five or six boxes of minis and expansions, <laughs> and I'm never not even through the first book yet. It should really <laughs> slow you down when you're like, Well, I want to buy this expansion because the minis are gorgeous and I, I know I'll like painting them. Stop right, stop yourself right there. Stop yourself right there. Slow, slow it down. That's all I have to say. Otherwise, you're swimming in expansions you never play. That's my. Goal. I mean, with that said, though, there's a lot of people that will be like, "I want to buy that expansion because I'll, I'll paint those minis eventually," and they yeah. never do it. And they never do it. But you I, have, so I mean, there is. You, know, I, you can at least say that. If you guys remember January of this year, it was one of my resolutions. And I still probably have about thirty or forty minis I want to paint between now and New Year's. I think I could do it, even with how awesome. busy I am. It's uh, the the minis I have from Horrified, from New Angeles, and a couple of leftovers from Journeys in Middle Earth that I reprimed because I didn't like the way I painted them the first time. I really don't have very many. And then then that's everything I bought in twenty twenty two and before. And then in twenty twenty four, I can paint my twenty twenty three games that mm -hmm. I. Purchased. That's right. 
That's right. Now, when I talk, when I'm dissing expansions, I'm not talking about meta chasing for a war game that's completely rational and above board. All the expansions for war games that I've bought, I've already glued up and painted, except for my Red Harvest box for Warcry. But that's a lot. That's a lot of work right there. You, you guys know a Red Harvest box. Mm-hmm. This, there's a lot of sprues in there. It's going to take yeah. a good, good long while to get to the bottom of that thing. For sure. In 2024. So that that was my Geek Week update on painting. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've got some jade obelisks that I need to finish up on my desk. They're very close to being done. So um, that that'll just be another warband that's uh, that's finished. Which is it's great. finished that you may never play competitively, but you've got it. That's right. You know, yeah. and uh, I I kind of I like having a bunch of warbands that like if we do a kind of a learn to play or meet at a store or something like that, I can bring a bunch and people can pick up and play. They don't need where the meta play. shifts and you're sitting on a gold mine. Sitting <laughs> on a gold mine. Exactly. So, it's mostly the, it's mostly the collector in me, right? Mostly so, the collect, the completest. Yeah, yeah I know. I know exactly. the feeling. Trust me. I have way too many daughters of Cain. I have two and a half lists of daughters of Cain, but <laughs> how can I play two at the same time? Right. 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 So awesome. Awesome. Well, it sounds like pretty good geek weeks. I think that uh, as we kind of head into December, it's going to break one of two ways. Either one, we're going to get more time to kind of hobby and stuff like that, or um, we'll find more time to maybe game with the family and things like that. So it'll be kind of interesting as uh, this thing goes. And Jason, good luck wrapping all those uh, 26 games or whatever it is and putting those under the tree. You know? Well, they're not for everybody i've bought so much crap for myself this time of year with tools i've needed to like get stuff done not gaming wise but they're in cardboard boxes i'm like if i could just pop that thing open that would make my life easier but then my kids wouldn't have the 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 joy of pretending to buy me something so right i I justified it with my wife by saying hey last night i bought a bunch of stocking stuffer things for our kids (laughs) nice Uh, like you know four or five (laughs) And then yeah. 20 for me. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's one for you, one for me, two for you, one, two for me, three for you, yeah. one, two, three for me. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what I have to deal with is that there's one kid in my family who everything on the Christmas list is from the Pokemon store, and he can't like even find that stuff at Amazon. Yeah. You can't you can't get away with that, Jay. There's little literally nothing in that store I want to buy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's what it is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope that Jason and Dan, you both saved enough room for your uh your Santa's wish list that we're gonna do in two weeks. Oh my gosh. Uh, I gotta start you know, working we're gonna on have that to come now. up with that. So yeah. yeah, start thinking about it now. Yeah, what do you wish for when you have ev- when you have everything? What do you wish for? What do you wish <laughs> exactly. for? World peace. So yeah. awesome, awesome. Okay, well, uh let's see. Dan, do we have any news today? I have just one small little teeny tiny little news drab the new dnd edition is coming out and a date got released so um there's a new uh, wizards of the coast in their excellent marketing put out a poster for pax unplugged that had the 2024 core rule book with a release date of 521 24 so the 21st of may then they rapidly took that down (laughs) (laughs) whoops once again, Wizards of the Coast, slow clap for Wizards of the Coast. Good job, guys. Good job. The same exact dwarf, and it just says 2024 Player's Handbook. 
So they they put out a date, they put out a core book, and then they ran in the opposite direction and said sometime in 2024, there will be a player's handbook. So that's good news, uh, you know, but nonetheless, <laughs> once again, Wizards of the Coast finding a way to make it weird. Eh, they just yeah. made it weird. So there's also going to be Vecna, Eve of Ruin. I wonder if that is, uh, I wonder if they're trading off of the extra Vecna press they're getting from Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. um, quests from the Infinite Staircase in July and a book on the making of D&D in June. So there's lots of stuff coming from Wizards of the Coast. It should be really uh, for, for you D&D players out there. It's time to, to evolve into the next system. So what will that mean? What will it won't mean? Supposedly this is going to be the easiest transition ever between one addition to the next, but uh, we won't know that until we have it all in our hot little hands in its final version. Yeah, and that's indeed. That's the news. And it's just, <sighs> I, it's just teeny tiny little monstrous D and D new edition news. So, you know, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the next edition that they were going to come out with was supposedly going to be one of these where they could do um, like uh, continuous updates. Like this would be kind of, quote-unquote the last edition right yeah 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 and it's supposed to be very backwards compatible with uh with fifth edition yeah. but they did this once before when they went from three to three five so yeah. we expect there to be some real differences there is an 80 page document out there uh, that you can go play test if you want to be a play mm -hmm. tester you can go pull down the 80 page version of the game and you can compare and contrast the difference between fifth edition and this version. Um, that's beyond my attention span to want to do that, especially when it's still in draft form. Mm -hmm. But there are there are key differences. It's just they they still want to sell all their old the, the old library and have it be relevant. So I can't blame mm -hmm. them for still wanting to sell the old. I mean, it, it would be hard because they would have to totally revamp D and D Beyond, right, with all of the material on there and. It's like, and the know. revamp is part of the the their critical path is they want to have yeah. a D and D Beyond to be you know a meta space, mm -hmm. a three dimensional space, a virtual game board. They want all that stuff, and I think they'll do it. They have the money to do it. Will they do it well? Will they do it better than other parties are currently doing it in 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 this space? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we we'll, we played we'll find out. the other day when we played. Um, we were using their kind of beta map tool that mm -hmm. was integrated with it now, and um, it's very similar to like Albear Rodeo. Mm -hmm. um, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with that, mm -hmm. where yeah. you just get to basically drag tokens on and you can move them around. I, I, what do you think of that, Jason? Did you do you like using the map? In I like Albear Rodeo. Did I like yeah. using the D and D map that was on Beyond? Yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't have to run it, so it was fine with me. I think I waited. We just waited for you to, like, alt between two different maps to do the Fog of War thing. Oh, uh, when Mike do. was running it, you mean? Yeah, yeah, he had to, like, have two maps. Yeah. That he was constantly, like, updating this one and then making that the front. That's true. Um, it didn't have kind of the Fog of War that Albear... I think didn't you know it's been a while since I've looked at it. I, I don't really care. I'm a theater of the mind guy. Yeah. Yeah. So when maps come to the table, like they're okay for me, but I still like play the thing out in my head. I think yeah. um I think that like 
the more tools you start to add to it, and if you're not as proficient to it, it ends up bogging the game down, you know, because you're like, hold on, guys, let me just do this real quick. Click, and that click, real click, quick click, turns click, into click, like five click, minutes click. or whatever, you know? Well, that's why, um, I mean, that's why I haven't been on Roll20 in like 10 years, because when we were first using Roll20, granted, it's been a long time. I'm sure it's way better now. It was so yeah. clunky to try to use Roll20. I felt like it took so much time. Every time you try to play a game on Roll Twenty, just oh, I tried playing game. Earth Dawn on Roll Twenty. <laughs> well, that's two whammies. That's two whammies. I wanted to die. I literally wanted to die. It was, it was the most painful game. We should talk. We should have we talked about bad role play game mechanics. I'm sure we have. Uh, uh, we have. Well, we'll have to go look at our archives. It sounds like something we would have talked about. I think yeah. we did. I think we did. Maybe. But maybe maybe we should just do a, an episode on the worst stinking RPGs we've ever encountered and just <laughs> moan about them and complain. Ah, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Welcome to the internet. It's awful. Grognards. Grognards. There's nothing good about this. But yeah, we could all... We could all stand around and beat up the fax machine in, sure. in the field, like sure. uh, office space with with Earth Dawn, and and maybe we should invite Jamin on to tell us why we should have liked Earth Dawn more than we did. Well, well our we have a, we have a friend in our local group who still likes it a lot. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, you know him. I'm sure I do. Okay, cool. Good to know. But uh, he still try. He still offers it whenever we get together. <laughs> Everybody's like. Everybody starts shaking their head. No, don't make any sudden moves. Don't don't start I, that one. You know, I've played it a few times. We're getting on a side here on Earth, Don, but <laughs> I've played it a few times. I, yeah. Anyways, yeah. But anyway, so back to Roll Twenty. I mean, it was love it, Jason. That's great. That's the, awesome. Thanks, thanks for bringing in that sharp point right there. That yeah, we, re- yeah. I, we really very, understood uh, what you meant. Very helpful contribution. That was good. Very I helpful contribution. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk about an RPG that uh, I found that I really, really, really like. And that is the uh, Walking Dead RPG that recently just came out from uh, Free League Press in conjunction with AMC. As you can see, like the AMC branding is front and center on here. So they got the license to, to use it. And um, yeah, we had a chance. Uh, the, the Kickstarter fulfilled in uh, early to mid-November, and then it came out for purchase in late November. So you can go get this right now. You can get the PDF versions, obviously, on RPG, or you can get all the physical stuff that you want, including the PDFs, on Free League, um, uh, Free League Publishing, um, their website. So... Go ahead and check them out because um, I think that this game is very worth it. Now, um, before we begin, I think it's important. Uh, Dan and Jason, have you guys seen the like? Are, are were you avid watchers of The Walking Dead at all? Yes. No. Okay. Excellent. Right, equal out. Balance. <laughs> yep. that there's balance in the universe. That's right. Now, Jason, you say you're an avid watcher. Did you get to the very end of the series? No, I did not get to the very end of the series. But, you the but I was also a comic book reader, a heavy yeah. comic book reader. Yeah. Did you finish the comic book series, or is it still going? Um, I didn't. I don't know if it's going. I don't know if it's still going. I mean, it's been <laughs> it's been about 
gosh, is that 15, 15 years? Mm-hmm. 12 to 15 years. Yeah. So, I mean, it started, it started on AMC in 2010. So the comics came out a few years probably before. Probably 2005, that, right? three or five. Yeah, I'm going to look it up real quick, but yeah. We're all Googling it furiously. I can tell you the game yeah. store that I bought my first Walking Dead comic trade in uh, doesn't exist anymore. Wow. That's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, so it's been a while. Yeah. I remember well, when... Um, oh, yeah, 2003. 2003. 2003. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds right. Yeah. So about uh, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. I remember when uh, Robert Kirkman, um, he was commenting on it uh, that he didn't... When he was writing it, he didn't really know where the story was going. He just... As he wrote the story, he says, whatever happens, happens. If somebody dies, they just die because that's what happened in the story. I don't have this planned out. Which I thought was... hardcore. Yeah, I'm sure he did. He had some forward vision, but there was probably a lot of fog of war uh, that he was just writing to get away. Well, I noticed that if you read the comics, they happened in arcs, right? There's usually like three or four episodes yep. that were kind of an arc. And then yep. I'm sure that he had those arcs planned out and then be like, okay, well, what do we do next? Right. And so, um, yeah. Anyway, the TV show felt very much like that as well. Like with each season, it kind of felt like its own distinct arc a lot of times and the current um, the current print run ended in 2019 okay so from o, so they went for 16 years well i think the interesting thing is the walking dead is very much part of our zeitgeist i mean they like it was coming out at the height of zombie apocalypse stuff and you know like it, i swear to you like in 2010 2011 all the way up to like 2015 type of stuff, you could not get away from people talking about zombies. And like there was zombie this, zombie that, zombie this, zombie that. Like it just was like a whole thing about zombies. Just like um, almost the mid-2000s were all about vampires, right? With Twilight and all that kind of stuff. So well, you want to know why that is. They've actually, sociologists have proved that uh, during Republican administrations, vampires are popular. And during Democratic administrations, zombies are popular. And uh, because Republicans represent, sorry, the vampires represent elites like Republicans and zombies represent the unwashed masses. Democrats. Yeah. There's actually been papers written on this subject. It'll tweak your noodle. As soon as you start looking at it, remember all that twilight crap that came out under the last, that eight year period of time when we had George W. Bush. Yep. Yep. You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) <laughs> interesting interesting so that, that is first, interesting i would have i see i would have said that zombies were rising in popularity in the early 2000s in the yeah. in the 2000 i think the walking dead comic that came out there was a lot of horror writing fiction that started to come out uh with zombies mm-hmm. um 28 uh yeah the theory doesn't cover later, the comics 28, 28 <laughs> days later uh came yeah. out um there's a lot of i think we started to see a rise up in early 2000s and it started to ramp up to right when we got to 2010 and it was going full strong super zeitgeist yeah 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 it was uh it, w- it was kind of crazy and i think even now when people think about zombie apocalypse 
like the first thing that they think of is like the Walking Dead universe, unless they're like super nerds and like, okay, well, we're talking about slow zombies or fast zombies, like a 28 <laughs> days later, right? Like they start like parsing it. But when people say like, I'm, you know, like I'm prepping for the zombie apocalypse or whatever, usually the thing that they have in their mind is like the Walking Dead universe. Right? You think that's so true? I do. You don't yeah, think I it's absolutely. the Night of the Living Dead, the George Romero be, universe? It used to be Night nope. of the Living Dead and and uh, I, think it used I to am be. Legend and I am I am Legend. I think yeah, it used it's to been be, replaced but... by Walking Dead. Yep, hundred percent. That's a lot 100%. of zombie content. Hundred percent. You've gone out and gathered your uh, user statistics and Metacritic scores. <laughs> Super and... scientific peer reviewed study here. Jason. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, I think you're right. Uh, look, I think I it's, think it's what's most things... on the front. Jason I, well, refuted my assertions too, and mine mine pretended to be fact. Yours were an expression of opinion, and he went after you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, look, I I think the other thing is, is it's kind of like the Game of Thrones effect, where um, it became super popular on TV, where it started pulling in normies, right? People who normally weren't in into the like horror or zombies or whatever, they were watching The Walking Dead too. Yeah. So. Yeah, Totally you know, agree. I think, I think there's more, you know, more than like it hit more of the bell curve than you know George Romero's Night of the Living Dead or you know Day Dawn of the Dead or or any of that stuff, right? So, anyway, um, so with any RPG that heavily relies on a um, an IP, so take you know like a Star Wars, take. Um, Blade Runner, take Alien, take a lot of these ones that we've talked about on the show. Um, you run the risk, in my opinion, of making it very kitschy, right? Or very gimmicky, because what you what people expect when they come in playing a Walking Dead universe is they want the Walking Dead, right? And so the the designers and creators, they can it's a it's kind of a tight rope where they can go too far to one side, which is um, more original content mechanics, et cetera, and it doesn't feel like The Walking Dead, or they can go too far to the other side where it's too much of The Walking Dead and the mechanics stink, you know? And it's just, you're like, okay, we're just playing in the TV show and reliving the TV show episodes or whatever. And I have a perfect example of this. Yeah, go ahead. It is the uh, Wendy's RPG. Okay. The, the Wendy's, the fast food joint, when yep. they created an RPG, it's just optimized to just play as a one shot as a lark. Mm -hmm. And the mechanics are large. I mean, it, you could adapt it to be something more than it really was, but really, really don't. Really don't. There's, yeah. there's way better ones. So that one's like overly tuned to the IP. Yeah. Right. Where you would say something like a GURPS or a Genesis or Fate. Some of those other RPG systems are completely genericized mm -hmm. and designed to drop in IPs as needed, as, as, and you flavor to taste. And so what you're saying is, is somewhere between those two polarities of the generic system and something that's overly tuned to an IP, you've got to hit that sweet spot, if I'm hearing you yep. correctly. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and I think that um, I personally think that this book does a really good job balancing it. Um, when we played it, we had a very good 
Walking Dead feel. And I'll let Jason maybe talk a little bit about that. We had a very good Walking Dead feel, but it definitely felt like its own story. I was I didn't have to rely on Michonne. I didn't have to rely on Rick Grimes. I didn't have to rely on Carl. Although I would have really liked at one point to say, get in the house, Carl. You know, because that would have been a great moment from the movies or, or the TV show. But, um, you know, like I didn't, we didn't have to rely like rely on those things to draw us into the universe. We were already there, and we had a great story. So, what I, what are your thoughts about that, Jason? Very uh, good. Um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, yeah, good atmosphere. It felt true to the franchise. Uh, felt like I was playing in a world that was one that I would have seen on an episode of The Walking Dead without having to repeat an episode of The Walking Dead. Um, so, yeah, if I wanted to come to the table and I did to feel like I was being a survivor in that universe created by, you know, Kirkman and then expanded on by AMC's writers, I would have said I got that experience for sure with this with this game. So very happy with the way that it it gave the atmosphere and it gave the feeling i'm just flipping through the book even the book you know the the artwork um just it makes you feel like you are in a you know a modern system one of the things yeah there you go i you know one of the um i've always been curious here's the thing i've always wanted to play an rpg that was you know like modern modern 20 right modern d20 is supposed to be one that's actually set in like kind of real life Right. It's not science fiction. It's not fantasy. It's just you're in the real space. Right. Modern D20. Yeah. But you don't really hear a lot about modern D20. I think that's because when we sit down to play games, we don't want to play our lives. Right. Unless you're right. Dwight Schrute and you want to create, you know, a guy in the game of life that is just a paper salesman. <laughs> right. And the only difference is he can fly. But uh, <laughs> right. uh, everybody, everybody flies. In everybody life, flies. Yeah. yeah. This game gave me that scratch that itch I've had for a really long time of playing a game that was in a re understand it's zombies, but it was a realistic world. Meaning we had the weapons we have today. We have the tools we have today. We have the same skills and powers we have today, which are none. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt like I was playing kind of a, a modern, a modern D 20 realistic time frame uh, game, but in a fun, you know, alternate uh, future. Uh, so it was, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and you know, when we get into mechanics, we'll talk about that, but really love the thematic element. It really drove it home. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about that, Jason. I, I love your point there, which is, um, we didn't have to, we spent zero time explaining the world. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes we already live in you, it. yeah, we're, we're already living in it. Except there's, there's, not, zombies, I mean, there's one right there. You know? yeah. no, but. And, and the only the only thing I mean I did have to explain like in the beginning the mechanics of the threat meter which we can talk about you know which is like how you um, uh, kind of personify the zombie threat I guess personify might not be the right word but sure. um, how you kind of represent the zombie threat that's happening there's a threat threat meter that that you go through and I mean that's like the only thing I needed to really explain about the world just so that you guys understood like how to deal with increasing zombies right but like i didn't need to explain to you what a gun was i didn't need to explain to you like how how a, a rope ladder worked in this thing you know what i mean and, and i guess you don't have to do that in some other games too but it's just like you guys were in real life you knew how to start a truck 
you knew how to yeah. hotwire or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or try to anyway, like, because like, that's what you guys would do in normal life. So um, the learning curve was <laughs> a little truck. bit easier. Yeah, right. <laughs> so is the fun part saying, hey, how do I deal with this fantastic situation of a world consumed by zombies within the confines of just being a normal guy? Is that... Yeah. Is that what is that kind of if, if I'm going to approach this game, that's that's the fun is OK. You know, if you're an electrician, you're an electrician, but you got to deal with existing among zombies. I think yeah. so. Yeah, uh, I think the lethality of the game helped make that um, fun, too. This game was. This is I think this game is more lethal than any game I've played. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shadow of the Demon Lord Demon Lord was lethal, but not like this. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and Mother Mothership was bad too, but not like this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your characters every and what's interesting is um we had a conversation about this afterwards. This game, um, so let me I'm I'm gonna kind of pull back to like the hundred foot thousand view and and hundred thousand foot view and then kind of like go down a little bit. But this game is um, what, what I like about this and the way that it is designed is that it's not about your characters. It's about your Haven. It's about your collective of survivors that you have. And knowing that like death is all around you, including the people that you're playing, right. Including your characters that you have. And so for me, what this allows you to do with this game in particular is we can run a one or two or three arc like session in like January, for example, and we could totally leave this campaign and I'm putting campaign in quotation marks here. And because it's all about your Haven, right? You could leave your Haven where it's at and we could pick up another session in July as if nothing like no time had gone by. Like you can't do that, in my opinion, while you're running a D and D book. Like you have to kind of go back and be like, "Wait, who did we talk to about this before? Who did we, you know, like what's the plot of this again? Like where are we doing it? Like if you miss a couple of sessions of D and D, like you've got to kind of do a lot of catch up. I don't think you have to do that with this. You can play this in a series of one shots as long as it's surrounding your haven. Then that's the continuity that you need. Yeah. Well, and. And, and and the other thing is the simplicity of the character because you are a normal person. Like if I came mm-hmm. back to D and D after even a month and a half of, or maybe two months of not playing a character, I'd have to remind myself what was I doing in terms of the tree I was going down with my skills and my feats to try to see what were those combos I was going for. Here, there, I mean, you're a normal person. Like I pick the yeah. character sheet up, you know, six months later, it's. I'm still a normal person. Um, it's it, there's not like special, special trees and talents and and things that you're like creating these unique combos. It's like no, I'm. I look at my sheet. I'm like, all right, I'm good at shooting a pistol. I'm not good at shooting a pistol. Like, it's 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 really easy to interpret what your character can do, looking at your character sheet really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's only, uh, like we said, there's only three hit points for them. And if you get shot, that's two hit points minimum. <laughs> minimum. And if they, minimum, if they get two successes on that hit, you, you're that's down. three and you're down. You know, but that's real so, life, right? I mean, you get shot yeah. with a bullet, like you're going down. 
like in right. real life most of the time, right? Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, guns are know. lethal. <laughs> they are, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and well, even the knife, like you know, you, we, you know, I think TV and other video games they glorify like the ability to take massive amounts of damage and keep going. But the reality is, man, and one one knife slice to the right place, and you're out of the you're out of the you know fight. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, yeah, you've only got that. You um, have, uh, what is it, four characteristics um, yeah. that you have. Uh, and, you know, under that, you've got three abilities, you know, like um, stealth, scavenge, um, or I guess it's stealth, survival, scout, you know, melee combat, ranged combat. I mean, there's, there's just a yeah. <laughs> leadership. Sorry, there's a there's just a bunch of like those things, but there's not that many, and it's really easy to say like, okay, like I want to try to persuade somebody to do that. That's going to be a manipulation role, and I know exactly how to roll this. So um, the mechanics I think are very very easy, easy to pick up, easy to run, easy to explain to new people, and I think that that is one of the benefits of this game is that, as we said before, AMC brought in a whole bunch of normies into into the zombie world, right? And I think that you might be able to get some normies playing the Walking Dead RPG that haven't really played RPGs before much easier than like um, if they're like if they're not into fantasy, it's going to be hard to get them into D&D, for example. But they might play a one shot zombie session with you. And can you explain these mechanics easy enough for a new person? Mm-hmm. So what do Especially you think with Jason? the free league year zero engine, right? Where. Mm-hmm. Just, you're just rolling d6 dice everybody's used to d6 dice even if you're not an rpg guy mm-hmm. what's this polyhedral thing don't worry about it doesn't matter in this game right yeah you're just looking for sixes sixes and ones that's it yep super easy yeah absolutely now it's also easy to misinterpret the rules that never happened no on friday uh-uh. <laughs> no so Let's talk about what sets this uh, game apart from... So we, we've played Alien. We've played Blade Runner. And they have a lot of similar mechanics. Um, you've got, you know, stress dice that if you roll a one on your stress dice, it can cause problems. In um, The Walking Dead, they call it a uh, mess up, right? You mess up. And um, so let's talk about mechanics and what sets this game apart from like maybe some of the other products that are out there that are similar. What yeah, uh, want... what what would you start with, Jason? Um. Well, I think that this game has two types of um, combat. Uh, when you fight other players or humans, when you fight humans. Um, it feels you start to enter a you enter an area of the game where you feel like you are really playing other combat and other RPGs. But the zombies, I think, are unique. Um, because when I picked this game up, I thought, okay, we're gonna fight zombies. It'll be curious to see how we do zombies when there's like you know a hundred of them at you. And what's fun is that the the zombie system, the system for the zombies is totally different than when you're fighting humans. Um, and I think that sets it apart as a unique mechanic. You know, when you're when you're fighting a zombie, depending on the threat level, which just represents 
like the intensity of the zombie situation around you. So if it's like a threat level, what's the lowest one? One. If it's yeah. if it's a threat level one, there's like a couple walkers around. But if it's like a threat level four, like there are walkers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You you you've got to do something to solve it. But dealing with when you do encounter a walker, or you know a, a zombie, when you do encounter a zombie, uh, you don't fight it. It's not you don't go into combat. You just solve the situation whatever way you want with your skill set mm-hmm. in whatever way you describe, and you just roll the dice and you're looking for a success. Yeah. If you get a success, great. You solve that zombie problem and you can move on. Uh, you can do it. You can say, I'm, you know, I'm going to run around the building and try to outrun the zombie. Okay. Give me a mobility roll. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to hide in the bush. Give me a stealth roll. I'm going to try to hit it. Okay. Give me a combat roll. You know, just whatever you want to do, you choose. And that's how you'll solve the zombie, which is totally different than when you're in combat with another human. Then you're back into your, like, you know, you're kind of rolling your attack. You're rolling your, your things there. So I thought that that was, uh, I really liked that uh, because it made, when you were dealing with a threat with humans where you're, you're firing at each other and then zombies start to come in because of the noise immediately when a zombie kind of comes into the fray, you've got to kind of switch gears and be creative on how to get away from, from the zombie that's creating another problem in front of you. So I liked that. I thought that was unique. Yeah. We had a situation where you guys were in a bar and fighting and it created enough noise that a zombie came in through the window, right? Like yeah. crashed through the window and on top of one of the other players and he had to do something right. And his, he's like, well, I want to get out from under it. Great. Roll a mobility, right. Or yeah. roll a force, depending on what you want to do. Right. You want to push it off. You just want to try to get out from under it. And um, you know, and the option is still there. Well, I want to attack it and kill it. Okay, great. Sure. Do it. Roll it. You know, tell me how you're going to solve this problem. Um, which can be very creative. And one thing that I, I really um, like about that is it really fosters the player's imagination uh, in this game because the DM just says, all right, like there's a zombie that's literally within like arm's reach of you. What are you going to do? You know, like <clears throat> the, the, the DM's not telling you, oh, the zombie does this and bites you in the neck. No, like that's not that's not the DM's role. The DM is just there to say, like, okay, like the zombie's there. What do you do? Tell me what you do. And if you fail mm-hmm. it, all right, well, I have a table for you to roll on. Let's find out what happened. You know, I think uh Jason, your care your character, you ended up um jumping out of a window at one point, slicing your leg on the window because you didn't do, you know, you didn't do so good getting out of it. And then a zombie came up and kind of fell on you and you know pulled your boot off and bit your toe right as you're trying to get away and yeah. in stumbling backwards you ended up like impaling yourself on some of the shards of glass in the window and dying yeah you know and that yeah. was all a series of rolls that happened and then yeah. you just described like what happened right yeah i mean it was all because i you know i missed my attack and this comes to the lethality of the game right like if you dis- if you're going to try to solve a zombie situation by getting up to the zombie and hitting it with with your melee weapon, you're taking on a huge risk by being right next to that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I rolled my dice and, you know, this has the same kind of stress mechanic that like aliens did or 
or other uh, year zeros where if you roll a one on a stress dice, something bad happens, right? In this game, it's called you roll in a walker, and that means you mess up. Something messes up. Uh, and I went to swing with my hammer to try to be quiet. And um, I missed, and I rolled a, a, a walker. Yeah. And Justin rolled on a table, I think, and the table was that he basically bit me. So then it's like I missed... And I, he fell on me and I fell back and he bit my boot. Well, by biting my boot, because I'd already been injured by the glass, it was enough to make me broken, which is when you lose all your hit points, right? Or your your three wounds or yeah. whatever. And when you get broken, you take another stress and you roll on a critical injury chart, which is another part of like, you know, free leagues games and their New Year's Zero engine. Whenever you go down, you take like some kind of critical injury, right? Well, the critical injury I rolled was like the second highest from the top of the table, which is a like instant lethal. And it was like, like it was head pierced. So I was like, all right, the zombie fell on me, bit my boot. I fell back and I fell back onto the glass and it impaled through my neck. Uh, you know, the glass that I broke through. And that was it. My character was dead. In like one bad roll, my character was dead because I chose to take the risk of going right up to that zombie to attack yeah. it you know head first when i was already injured when i was already injured right right it's not D. not nope. D. and the other thing is that even if i hadn't gotten that critical injury i had to i would have had to have amputated my foot within the in hour six, in in three hours in three hours yeah, yeah. and that, so i was i was gone anyways <laughs> i was gone anyways yeah it's a lethal it's a lethal world yeah. So there's, uh, you know, it was it, it, like, it was really great. Um, what I do like are the rules for the swarm. So like, you've got these like one-off encounters with zombies, like one-on-one -on -one type of thing. Right now with the, with the swarms, the interesting thing is like, if there's a huge like amount of zombies that are coming at you, you take um, two or three players and depending on who's being surrounded by the zombies and they all roll, um, an an action like one can say, well, I want to try to run away. I want to try to throw a thing that would distract them. I want to try to attack one, right? And they all just kind of do something. And as long as they get more successes than what the threat level of that current zombie is, then they're safe still, um, and it reduces the threat level by one. Um, if they fail it, then you've got bad things that happen with the zombies. Right, that's when you have like a, a walker attack that that happens with uh, people, and they've got to like do do again like that roll and try not to you know get bit and stuff like that. So it's really interesting. Um, I think it's I think it's really creative on how they handled mass games. So the interesting thing is um, I've played in you know like D and D has like a mass like an optional like mass battle mechanic, and there's a lot of other games I played that have had mass battle mechanics. This one, it was the like the simplest to understand, in my opinion, and probably the simplest to explain to other players on like how how and what to do. Um, full disclosure, though, I totally forgot to use this mechanic in the game because we were caught up in the moment, and I just forgot to use it. But um, you know, we did we did similar things with it, um, just not this exact thing. But uh, I think it's like. It's great. I mean, you got the zombies closing in on you. What are you going to do? You know, like, how are you going to, you know, lessen this threat that's around you right now? Mm -hmm. And you've got to work together. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a combined role, right? You got to work together to solve the problem. So, um, 
I think it's awesome. And, and you know, so every player is going to want to play to their strength. There might be one guy that's really good about um, survival. Like, he might be really good about survival. And so if he can explain that role, he's like, well, I pick up a concrete brick and I throw it onto a car to try to set the car alarm off or something like that. Right? That would be a great survival role. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's how they could use that one in that situation because maybe they suck at fighting actually so they shouldn't fight they should do something else and maybe someone's like really good about like running well i'm going to run and try to pull off some of them in a different direction to lessen the horde or something like that you know so again the players get control of this to explain the narrative of what's happening i love how it takes it out of the gm's hands they don't have to come up with what's happening the players are describing the action and they get to they get to roll and see if it happens and if not, the GM gets to the fun of finding out on the table what happened to them, you know. So it's a very, um, it's a macro approach to the game, uh, which I really enjoy. Uh, you know, dealing with swarms, you deal it at a macro level. Um, even with um, when you get into when you get into combat or brawls with other humans, which is another kind of interesting way is the phases of a brawl. Um, it also is a little bit of a macro level, um, uh, too. Uh, in fact, I think in one of the parts of the book, it talks about like the concept of having cover, right? Like there's never really like this cover where you can't be attacked. Um, you just have cover. And so they, I think they even say in one of the call out boxes, I don't know which page it's on, but they say like, if somebody has cover, they're like, they're behind a bar completely. And the enemy attacks and still hits them you just it represents the enemy like moving around the bar or like rent you know like leaning over the bar or something like that it's not that you ever truly are like safe in any way in the game and you just have to role play that it's not a very rigid um it's not a very rigid uh, uh play out of the system let the dice tell you what happens and then make it work um but they have think, these four brawl phases, Justin, which I think would be good yeah. to go over because I thought we didn't necessarily play it right. But after kind of going back and looking at it, it I think it's a unique part of the system, too. Yeah. So everybody gets to take one action in the combat round, right, um, which is pretty standard. But you have six options of things that you can do. OK, the first option is that you can uh, take cover. Like if you're being shot at or, you know, you're going to be shot at. You can dive behind something. And, and this right? is in and order, too. This is in order, right? So you can dive behind something, and what that does is the person shooting at you needs two successes to be able to hit you, right? So it kind of deletes your first success. Um, so you can try to take cover. The second one is that you get to shoot. You get to do ranged combat. And then the third one is that you get to do melee combat. And the great thing about the melee combat in this is as long as you're within close range, you don't have to be close and then engage. As long as you're within close range, which is like 20 feet, it assumes that you can run up to somebody and whack them, right? So you don't yeah. have to be like, oh, well, I'm taking my five feet of movement and then I'm going to whack them and then my other 10 feet of movement. Like, it's not that granular. Just run up and hit them. You know, like that's how it would work in the game, you know? Um, so you just kind of built that into the, um, the, the close combat fourth is movement now that's kind of a misnomer you're like well didn't you just say that you could move into combat what this is is if you're like from really far away right so they have it as short uh long 
and extreme ranges, right? So if I wanted to go from long to short, or or sorry, it's like short, medium, long is what it is. If I wanted to go from long to medium or medium to short, that would be the movement, right? To try to get the, like, so if I'm on the other side of the city block and I hear gunfire, I'm going to need to take that movement to start running, right? Kind of like the um, the zones in the alien RPG where you're, yeah, you, you can move from one zone to the next zone and then you can move, once you're in the zone, you can move from that zone to engaged or not. Like they, they kind of, they, they take the micromanagement out of it and just kind of move it more towards a macro role play. Yeah. Yeah. And the last, uh, the, or, sorry, not the last one, but the, the fifth uh, option that you have is first aid. So um, some of these things, some of these critical injuries that you get, um, it's a great little table. Um, sometimes I have to roll and it will tell you if this person does not get first aid in two minutes, they are going to die. You know, like they have like hemorrhaging, like hemorrhaging blood, you know, or they're, they got a punctured lung or something like that, that, you know, there's some injuries that you need to address in days or some injuries you need to address in hours. And there's some injuries that you need to address in minutes. And sometimes they're, you just die, right? Like Jason's impaling, um, that happened. Right. So, um, so you can choose to do first aid in that round. Um, and then the last one, what I love is other. So this is like, well, I need to go over there and shut the door or bar the gate, or I need to like go type on a, you know, like do a loudspeaker to get the zombies away from us or something like that. Right. Or I need to start the car. Um, so that's just kind of your like miscellaneous other, and it works in order like that. So basically the NPCs will target first. So I'll say, okay, you know, this person is going to, try to shoot Jason's character and this person is going to try to uh, do melee combat to Dan's character. And I say that first and then every, all the players get to respond and say, okay, well I'm going to shoot back or I'm going to take cover or I'm going to go do first aid on that guy. And then you just run it. You go, okay, phase one taking cover. Who's doing that. Okay. Got it. Phase two range combat. All right. Roll your dice range three melee combat or, or phase three. And you just walk through the phases and that's your, that's your thing. What I love about this is there's no rolling for initiative. You know, you don't have to see who goes first. You don't have to kind of gameplay of like, well, if you try to go first and then I come in after that, you know, and like, like you never do that in combat. You're never like, well, let's try to combo this kind of crazy. Like you're just shooting to stay alive, <laughs> you know? And so you don't have to do that. And in fact, one of the things that I, I liked about this that it says in here it says players should be making decisions quickly and if they don't make it quickly then um there's some consequences for that right jason yeah the players um, take a stress the gm can give the players a stress if they don't if they're indecisive yeah so it's that's like, helpful just... that's really helpful <laughs> <clears throat> it's good for keeping the the setting going it's good for keeping the universe going yeah, I you know what Robert Schwab, if you ever listen to his plays of Shadow of the Demon Lord, he does this really good with fast turns. Like he makes fast turns or what they're called, fast turns. You're like fast turns any mind? Somebody like, uh they'd be like fast turns, okay, slow turns. Yep. It's like you you know what you're doing or you don't. If you don't know what you're doing, you're a slow turn. Yep. Yeah. So so it's really great. Um the the thing about combat is that um, this is very similar to the Pendragon RPG that we played, where um, and this is where a lot of the lethality comes in. It's a posed roll. So again, you're not rolling initiative with the NPCs out there. You both roll at the same time. 
Dan, I'm targeting my my NPC is targeting you. You are targeting my NPC. Let's roll together. Whoever has the most successes wins. They get to do the damage, right? If you tie, you both get shot. Boom. Like it's as easy as that. Um, and you don't have to worry about it. The interesting thing is, okay, my NPC is targeting you, Dan. You're targeting my NPC. Jason's also targeting my NPC. You and I will roll off, but Jason gets a free roll against me. Ah, right. There you go. So, so you yeah. only get to target one person at a time, basically. Yeah. You know. So um, that's why so it's important. Wanna... That's why yeah, it's important ahead. when you get to the ranged combat phase to force your GM to pick their targets with their NPCs before the players pick, so that you can mm -hmm. choose who you want to oppose or not. Yep. Yep. So. And that's it right there. That's combat. That's how combat works. It's super simple. It flows really fast and really easy. We had a we had a great bar fight, like I was talking about. And even though I kind of messed this up a little bit, I was giving everyone an action in every phase. <laughs> so not just one action for the whole round, you know, because of the way I read it. I read it. I read one word wrong and, and didn't understand it. And so... Um, but basically, we just cram like four phases into one one round. Yeah, you know, we just did so it faster. We just did it much faster. But the great thing is, is that it flowed so fast. I mean, it was it's like really okay, what are you doing combat. great. Roll it. Okay, what? Did, all right. Then he comes up over here. Like I had my NPC tried to dive for cover, and he jumped over the bar and like biffed it, and and rolled some bad things that happened. So he ended up skidding over the bar hitting the back wall where all of the alcohol is kept on the shelves and all the bottles came crashing down, you know, and he got up like, what just happened? And of course he wasn't in cover because he failed his role. And then, you know, Jason and, and uh, uh, Sean Fielding were able to, you know, take a shot at him pretty easily, I think. So, um, you know, like it was, it was fun to explain kind of like what happened narratively. Um, these dice feel like, they're not total narrative dice like Star Wars, for example, but they have a lot of the same effect with you rolling successes plus extra successes, right? You either succeed or you don't. And if you get extra successes, that's a better thing that happens. And then if you get the mess ups, that's kind of like the threat in Star Wars, right? It's kind of like the threat and advantage um, that you can have. So I, I think it's kind of like a not quite narrative system that I really like. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think, I think we probably hit on like the big things. The other, the other thing about this game, which you mentioned earlier is if you read really through a lot of the rule book, you start to get the sense that um, this really is a, um, it's a book about, about creating your castle, about creating your haven. Um, what's the word that Sean used when we played the game? It's about creating your, um, I don't know. You're, there's a word for it, like your stronghold. Your yeah, your stronghold. That's it. It's kind of a stronghold game. If there's a campaign set, you could you try to get the book here. You can do one-offs where you're just focused on characters living in a zombie world. But the Haven, it really a ton of the rules in this game are about uh, making it a stronghold game. You can set up projects that your the people, the NPCs in your Haven are working towards to increase your defenses to plant crops, to do gear projects that are making you better gear. Like there are a lot of stronghold 
rules in this game. So if you want to play that way, this game can absolutely support it. And then you don't really have to focus so much on your characters, which are normal people and are going to die when they biff one roll. But then you just go back and pull another character out of your haven. Because really, then the game is about your haven. And you're sending people out to do things to make your haven better. Um, so that would be and that would be the campaign way that I would play mm-hmm. this game is I'm playing about my stronghold, my haven, not my people necessarily. Um, we played uh, so we talked about all about kind of the system, the rule, like the difference in the rules and like really what sets it apart. But we did play the adventure out of the starter pack, right? Um, I pulled up the cover of like what are the quick start rules that come in that starter set. And, um, you know, it had things like uh, great maps um, to work off of, like nice big maps that you could put on your table. Um, it had, uh, you know, it comes with a bigger map. Like this is the one of what Southwest Virginia on the other side is actually of, of North uh, Northeast Georgia. And, uh, what it says in there is that like they provided this this big old map of Southwest Virginia, um, not it, like it has little impact in actually the starter set. It's to use beyond that, right? Like you get you can start your haven somewhere in here, pick a pick a city to start in, or outside of a city or something like that, and then you can basically use that. So um, it's it's really great, and. Um, you know, here's here it comes with uh, you know some um, uh, of the pre-generated uh, folks that you have there, and you can get a good look here of like the attributes and skills, and you know like your revolver and and knife and stuff like that. Um, but Jason, having played the starter set, what what do you what would you rate the starter set? Because we've played quite a few before. Um. Well, so <laughs> it was a very simple, um, it was a very simple little arc that uh, I think helped learn the system, which is what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't think there was anything overly, um, you know, ambitious about the story. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty straightforward story. It's what you would probably expect in like, you know, the first couple episodes of a Walking Dead story arc, which you haven't gotten the big reveal. There's no giant thing going on. It's just, you know, you run into a couple people that may be good, may be bad. And you run into, you know, a group of people that uh, you have to deal with. Um, And there's a bunch of zombies all over the place that make it more complicated to do that. Right. Mm Um. So nothing special, but you know what? I th- I think it provided a really fun time. Um, I would say I felt like three people was a really good amount. We only had three players and a GM. Uh-huh. I think if we had if we had five to six people at the table, it might have been too much for that adventure. I think so too. Yeah, it would have been like three to four. W- way easier. Like making it three made the adventure challenging and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think three to four would have been is like the sweet spot number there. Five yeah. to six would have been too much. Too much. It I would agree. just it wouldn't have been challenging with five to six. Right. Yeah. Well, or yeah. at least the GM, it wouldn't have been challenging as written. The GM would have had to have, you know, introduced a lot more, um, ramped up the challenge level on the fly. 
of a lot of the things you had to deal with. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's, I mean, it would have had to be on the GM to do that because it wasn't built. The scenario, the scenario says it's built to run for three to five. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's accurate. Um, and it, it really wasn't built to run for, I think more than three to four, really, you know? So, yeah, but, but, you, you know, ca- it, go ahead. As you say, I have to caveat that with running, recognizing that we have played a lot of systems, a lot of starter sets. Mm-hmm. We're seasoned role players. So people who maybe um, weren't, aren't as seasoned, I could see four, four people being very challenging for them. I think three mm-hmm. was challenging for us, but we have, you know, I think we have a lot of creative people in our group. Um, that find interesting ways around problems to maybe make the situations less dangerous yeah. um, at times, which helps a lot. But if you had, if you maybe didn't have that level of creativity in your group, um, four, four people would probably be a minimum to try to make sure you could actually uh, have a positive outcome of the adventure. But yeah. I thought it was okay. Um, I've played, I've had, I think a lot more engaging uh, starter sets but I mean, it comes with the dice. It comes with the rule book. It comes at the end of the experience. You know, you've you've learned how to play the the most of the encounter, assuming that you do the rules right. You know, with swarms and things. It's not too bad. Um, I did feel like when you were done, I was like, "Is that it?" And you were like, "Yeah, that's it." I was like, "Oh, I would have expected yeah. like maybe one or two more s- continuations of this setting or story mm-hmm. inside of the starter pack." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because, like, you do a Chaosium starter thing, and it's got, like, three stories, right? Or three things. And even Pendragon had um, four or five little mini scenarios that you could run. Now, those scenarios were really quick, and, like, we did, like, three of them in a normal session. Are they stubs to expand into a larger story? You could absolutely take this one and expand it into a larger story, 100%, you know? uh, so like, it, I think it was fine. I think, I think the starter set did exactly what it needed to do. Introduce you to all the rules that you're going to encounter, right? Cause you are definitely going to encounter swarms. You're going to encounter zombies. You're going to encounter people. You're going to encounter a lot of different things. And it let you be really creative in the universe. Um, and really kind of stress test this, you know, from a, a new person's perspective. So I think it did a great job in that sense. And I think that it hopefully gave a lot of people a lot of creative ways to tackle this universe the next time they play it, you know. There's one area that the starter set does not touch, and that's the stronghold or the haven mm-hmm. part of it, yeah. which, you know, is a giant part of the core rule book. Right. Um, but that's not what the starter set touches. It's it's more about your traditional group of people going out and having to deal with a situation in a world around them. There's some um, post session um mechanics that you do like if you so you have these people who are your anchor that like help you like you know ground yourself in reality um like your best friend or you know your lover or whoever it is and we had two people in our scenario that lost their anchors and if that happens there's some there's some mechanics where they end up becoming shattered and they're just like not good for anything they lose their drive their will to live like all of this kind of stuff you know and like we didn't get to go through those mechanics because there was no really no point with it. Um, but it would have been interesting to see what had happened if you were playing with that character, like on another scenario, you know. So 
Um, but I think I think the starter set did a great job. I would highly recommend picking it up. And as we said before, uh, it is available now. Go to Free League uh, Publishing to check it out. You can also pick it up on uh, as PDF on Drive Through RPG. But I would recommend going and picking up the physical copy and getting the PDF with you. So go and check it out on Free League site and um, try it out for yourself. If you love The Walking Dead. I really, really, really think that you're going to love this RPG. Mm -hmm, And it does, as we mentioned in the beginning, it does find that balance of being a great RPG with great mechanics in an IP that you know and love without it feeling, you know, kitschy or, or, or gimmicky or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it strikes that balance super well. And I had a ton of fun with it. Not from a system standpoint. I think a lot of us had a lot of fun too. From a universe standpoint, if you were going to GM a long campaign that would go for a year, would you feel like you had enough story? Uh, yeah. Um, in the universe? You think you could do a different episode, getting together maybe once a month, and come up with a dozen unique stories without it feeling sham- shampoo, rinse, or peedy? Well, the way that, the way that this, um, that's where I think the stronghold comes in. The way that the mechanics are with the stronghold is you have, you can decide on projects that you want to mm-hmm. do. Uh, we need to bolster the defenses of our stronghold, and then you can, the GM can present situations or roll a, on situations like you know uh, there's a problem with the stronghold defenses or there's a raid that comes through or so, uh, and there are solo rules in this book. Um, I think the mechanics, the stronghold mechanics, actually tend themselves very much towards a GMless uh, play. Oh wow! Of the system, yeah. So I think that um, is there is are there you know story arcs you can go out and buy that give you a lot of universe uh, settings and things. I don't know absolutely. I mean, the game was just released, so no, yeah, there aren't. No. But there are plenty of things in here that would let you just set the universe up, the setting. And then play inside that setting. And then let it run. Yeah, and let it run kind of by itself and see where the game takes you. You know, it it would be that way. I think also, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, you can come up with a lot of scenarios on your own. Like, it doesn't take a lot of work to kind of figure that out. You know what I mean? Like, um, maybe you need to go, um, you know, sign a treaty with another settlement for trading rights or something like that. And Mm -hmm. something goes bad along the way. Right. Or, um, you know, there's a miscommunication and now suddenly you find yourself at odds with them. Like, what are you guys going to do? You know, there's, there's scavenging raids you can go on. There's, you know, there's a lot of different things that I think you can come up with that without a ton of, of effort. Um, but I do think that you have to be very careful about falling into the rinse and repeat. And, to be fair, the show fell into a rinse and repeat with yeah. a lot of its episodes, you know, and so yeah. um, you have to be you have to be careful about that. And um, but I think that you know you could do it. And and again, this is a game where I think you could play a one to two to three arc session, leave it for a little bit, and come back in six months and pick it up again like you'd never left off when yeah. you've got more ideas to run. You know, yeah. So you don't have to feel like you have to make twelve episodes. That's right. And people aren't like it's so invested in leveling up their character that's just like, oh, well, if we're not playing, I, I'm never going to make level 10. You, like we have that in D&D all the time. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Interesting. So, Sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds great. 
Yeah, I know. I've already got another scenario rattling around in my head. I'm I'm gonna um, write it up, and I think we'll get a, another group together. So, Dan, we'll we hope to have you on, on one of those, and yeah, you can come play against zombies. Uh, sure. The, you, you never you, you never shed a tear over killing a zombie. Zombies and Nazis, just kill them, no problem. Right? Zombie Nazis, yeah. even better. <laughs> zombie Nazis. There you go. You, there's your story hook. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We um, we know that there's a lot of interest around this game. And so go check it out. And if it's for you, go ahead and pick it up. And uh, we thank you for listening. Give us a like. Give us a share. Give us all the fun stuff on social media. Give us a mention if you want to. Um, we love hearing from uh, those who uh, listen to our show. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you all at the tables. Have a good night, everybody. See you. Good night.